Welcome to your Lot and Parcel podcast. Our mission is to emphasize the importance of preserving historic landmarks for future generations, mental health, physical well-being, and a safe family home environment. We value your monetary support. Here's your host, Benjamin F. Diaz. This is yours truly, Benjamin. My guest was diagnosed with autism 11 years ago. And ever since, he's been writing and speaking about the subject. What is autism and what causes the disorder? My guest today makes it very clear what it is. What was it like growing up knowing that you were different yet not knowing why? He answers that from a personal perspective. He speaks to growing up when there was no diagnosis like we have today. My guest is a cognitive behavioral therapist, a certified life coach, and you will be moved by what he has to say. Let's invite him now to our show, J.R. Reed. Today we're talking about autism, which is a developmental disorder that impairs an individual uh, differently in different ways. Uh, so I'm glad to have J.R. Reed on the program to help us uh, to give us some guidelines and for a little bit of education on how, and how we as a community and even from a personal standpoint, what is it that we can do to help? But before we do that, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, Gr, and your personal mission, if you will. Sure. Well, the first thing I'd like to clarify is, you know, yes, it does impair us in certain mm -hmm. ways, but we can look at those impairments and we can sometimes find workarounds around them. So it's definitely, it's not always as, impairing as as it might sound um about me i am 56 i was diagnosed when i was 45 i was diagnosed so late in life because i graduated high school in 1984 mm -hmm. and autism as we know it today did not start to get diagnosed in kids until 92 93 and it was probably 96 before it kind of became a little more mainstream. Mm -hmm. So I was out of high school, out of college with my associate's degree, and out of my stint in the U.S. Navy before autism was even a thing. Mm -hmm. I kind of say, I, I like to say I grew up without a spectrum to be on. <laughs> yes, yes. So but, uh, I, I understand uh, autism. Really, it's uh, been more a little more understood in the later on in the 20th yeah. century. Uh, I, I understand from what I've read. Anyway. Mm -hmm. But uh, but I appreciate that point about impairment because uh, you know what, uh, Jr. What I've read also has been speculated that Albert Einstein, uh, Isaac Newton, uh, yep, the American uh, artist uh, Andy Warhol were Beethoven. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and and that we know of that has come out and said it now. Elon Musk, oh, um, came out about a year ago, a year and a half ago, and and stated that he was autistic. Mm -hmm. um, Sir Anthony Hopkins, the you know Hannibal Lecter himself. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that. Incidentally, Just that character, I can see it. But you know. yeah, okay. <laughs> there you go. So, uh, tell us uh, your mission, Jr. Well, 
because I was diagnosed so late on the spectrum, mm-hmm. um, I, I kind of was a square peg trying to be jammed into a round hole my whole life. Um, let's get a little terminology out of the way first. Um, people like yourself that have a neurologically typical brain, which means they don't have autism, Tourette's, ADHD, bipolar, dyslexia. Uh, they're called neurotypicals because they have a neurologically typical brain. People that are autistic and with those other conditions I just mentioned are referred to as neurodivergent because we have brains that diverge from the normal way. Um, It's been likened to wiring, uh, that our brains are just wired a little bit differently than the normal population or the majority of the population. Mm understand so uh, how is it manifested if you're neurodivergent how is that manifested um well dr stephen shore who is the only autistic professor of autism he -hmm. teaches at adelphi university on long island in their special education department has Mm -hmm. uh very famously quoted or stated if you've met one person with autism then you've met one person with autism and what that means is there are so many different ways that our autism can manifest with, you know, traits and, you know, things that trigger autistic meltdowns and the way we process things and look at life. Mm-hmm. Now, there are a lot of overlapping things, but you'd be hard pressed to find two people with the exact same profile. Mm. Therefore, uh the word spectrum comes in therefore the word spectrum Mm -hmm. for example um i was diagnosed with asperger's syndrome which is a uh considered to be a higher functioning form of autism uh where it's more social anxiety and social uh problems less than intellectual so much Mm -hmm. um about 10 years ago you know i thought i turned that off Uh, About 10 years ago, they lumped everything, um, every aspect of the spectrum into the DSM-5 under the term of ASD, Autism Spectrum Disorder. Mm -hmm. And the DSM-5 is what uh, doctors and insurance companies use for their codes for Mm -hmm. different conditions, diseases, what have you. So they've they've lumped everything together, which I I think is great because I personally don't believe that one person on the spectrum is any better than another. Mm -hmm. Everybody has their strengths. Everybody has their weaknesses. And, you know, who's to say that, you know, somebody who understands a little bit more intellectually is any better off than somebody who doesn't. Hmm. That's interesting. so could, could you uh, tell us the, uh, as you indicated, there is a, uh, how it's quantified, um, the spectrum. Um, it, can you give us uh, an idea from one, from what extent, uh, uh, how far does a pendulum go? In other words? Well, I mean, I mean, let's kind of start with a, you know, uh, a character in media, okay. the Rain Man. Okay, yeah. You know, I mean, that would be kind of a very low end of the spectrum. I see. In that 
he was an artistic savant. So, you know, his card counting and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. That was his savant traits coming out. But his, you know, Wapner, Wapner, it's three o'clock. I got to watch Wapner. Mm-hmm. That is definitely his artistic side. Um, routine is very important for a lot of people on the spectrum. And if their routine gets broken, they kind of go into what we call meltdown mode. Uh, a meltdown is very different than a tantrum in that a tantrum, you know, kid sees a box of cereal in the aisle at the grocery store and he's going to scream and scream and scream no matter what aisle he's in mm-hmm. until he gets that. With an autistic meltdown, there's something that triggered that meltdown and it could be literally anything it could be the smell of lemons for somebody it could be for me it's bright lights loud noises and crowds um but you get yourself out of that situation Mm -hmm. and the meltdown stops Mm. interesting so so it's an overload of the sensories then it's an overload of the sensory system uh sensory system yes yes yeah what becomes inexorable in the Sorry to handle. I, uh, uh, in some ways, I can relate to that because uh, you know noises and just. Uh, oh yeah, you know. and and I want to be clear that yeah. these things are not strictly limited to autistic people. Hmm. They just tend to deal with them in more severe ways gotcha. than than other people. So, you know, there are people just like yourself that don't like crowds, don't like you know the loud noises and everything. But that doesn't mean you're on the spectrum. I see. Okay. Very good. JR, um, according to research, is there an estimation of how many people have this disorder here? There is and there isn't. Um, mm-hmm. The CDC says that there are about one in 45 mm. people are on the spectrum. Now, you've got to take a look at a couple other factors, though. Uh, there's a lot of adults like myself that are not formally diagnosed because we didn't have the chance. And through various reasons for insurance, you know, not covering testing or whatever, they don't get diagnosed. Mm. Um, Another question that you ask, and we'll kind of address this at the same time, is that women are very underdiagnosed. Oh, wow. In uh, as far as autism goes and I actually called a friend of mine who is a, another self-advocate. She's a woman. She, strangely enough, was a therapist working strictly with autistic people for 15 years before she got diagnosed in her late 30s. And the main reason that women are harder to diagnose is that they socialize differently than men do there's more social pressure for mm. women to fit in and so they do what we call masking which is you know i'm basically putting on a front you know say mm-hmm. oh no everything's great you know i'm fine i'm okay mm-hmm. when inside you're really not and then something that i did learn from talking to tony this morning was that these tests are geared and were created towards white males mm-hmm. so not only are women underrepresented uh, represented wow that was great uh but also you know people that are african-american latin american asian mm-hmm. native american or native you know to whatever country they're from sure. are you know 
could also possibly be underdiagnosed until they update some of the testing. Mm. So the majority of researchers and people like myself that are, you know, have autism or self-advocates kind of put it more like one in 39 is probably realistic. My goodness. Yeah. If you were to count all the people that are undiagnosed and, you know, and add them in there. Yeah. H- having said uh, what you just said, uh, would you say then boys are more uh, predisposed to this? No, it, it, okay. I, I don't think they're pre- they're more predisposed. Um, it, it's possible. But I, I think if you were to really identify everyone, you know, you may come out 60, 40, 55, 45, but it's mm-hmm. not going to be 80, 20. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So what is the current data currently? I mean, as far as it, is there a decline or, or um, increase? I, I, you know, again, I think it all comes down to research. Okay. I, I don't know that anybody is declining. It's really hard to say if yeah. it's declining or if it's inclining just because, you know, in the 80s when I was in high school, there was no autism research. Then in the 90s, there got to be more. And now since then, we've been doing more autism research to identify things. So mm-hmm. who's to say that 30 years ago, there weren't just as many people that just couldn't be identified? Yes, that's true. Yeah. Since it's uh, it's uh, relatively a, a new studies, you know, on autism, uh, I think I read somewhere it goes way back to the 1911. Yep, when this was recognized, but really the research yeah. is more recent. Well, and that's why I clarified when I said earlier mm-hmm. about the you know early 90s autism as we know it today. Exactly, yeah. not autism as they knew it in the in the early 1900s, in the 50s, in the 60s, in the 70s. Interesting. So uh, let me ask you, uh, JR, is is there a genetic component or a predisposition? Uh, Well, you know, the the predisposition is kind of funny um, Mm. because you will, I know families that one of the parents and possibly even as many as two, three kids in Mm. the same family are all autistic. Then you've got me who... I am the first person in my family to have been diagnosed. But if you look back through my parents and my grandparents, they didn't show any real signs. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It, it, that that's a really hard one to answer. In some cases, yes, there's a definite predisposition. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it comes down to is it's gen- Genetic. I mean, we figured out that it's not vaccines, that it's not all these other things. You're born autistic and you'll die autistic. So Mm -hmm. as another friend of mine who's a self-advocate once said, sex causes autism. (laughs) Okay. I mean, you know. We're we're all in trouble then, I guess. Yeah. I mean, and by that, she just meant that, you know, it's something that just occurs. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know. Yeah. Random. It's a a random uh, situation, I guess. Yeah. Is what you're yeah. saying, yeah. So, so, is there there's no gender uh, propensity for it? Uh, I, it's no, no? If you had to really nail me down, I'd probably say there was a few more uh, males than females. Yeah. But again, with all the research they're doing, um, we could find that that's different. But again, mm-hmm. I don't think it's vastly different. Yeah, because I I look at the uh, my circle of friends, uh, Jr. 
uh, I can I can tell you there's three uh, young boys and uh, no girls that I know of with that. So you mm-hmm. can be right. Uh, there, there may be more boys and, than girls. Uh, well, yeah, when I was talking to uh, Tony about this this morning, yeah. she said things like, for example, most people on the spectrum have some kind of an, of an intense interest. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for me, I'm a 56 year old male that still reads comic books. Now, <laughs> yeah, well, if it was a, yeah. a, a woman and yeah. her thing happened to be makeup and beauty, you know, that was her intense interest. Well, that could just get written off as being a girl. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So that's interesting. No, that, that's interesting how you put that. But uh, it, uh, but you were at the age of forty-five when you were diagnosed, correct? You said? Yeah. Um, and I've been seeing a psychologist for a while because there's nobody that is just autistic. Okay. There's always something that goes along with the autism. Maybe it's, and it doesn't have to be extreme. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a little bit of depression or anxiety or ADHD mm-hmm. or some OCD mm-hmm. tendencies. So mm-hmm. you know, there's nobody that's just autistic. Um, I happen to have a little bit of anxiety, a touch of depression. And as I've jokingly said before, a quarter cup of of ADHD to mix into my cocktail. (laughs) (laughs) You got a sense of humor there, JR. I love that. You know what? I I have to, because if we can't laugh at ourselves for any reason, Mm -hmm. then what's the point? Exactly. No, I'm with you on that one. You got to. You know, uh, my my mom, my mom and dad, mm-hmm. bless their hearts. They tried everything they could to figure out what made me different when I was a kid. But again, there wasn't the research to support and you know to give yeah. real answers. And they used to tell me constantly that I wasn't living up to my potential. Mm. Well. My autistic brain works in a very logical and factual way. So just just take a second and follow this. Okay. You're not living up to your potential. Well, you're either succeeding or you're failing, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're not living up to your potential, then you're failing. But I was trying my hardest in school and just not understanding the way that the teacher was teaching it because my brain was wired a little bit differently and I learned a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. You know, now kids who go to school are so lucky when they're diagnosed at three, four, five, six years old, because then they can get some of those accommodations in school that will help them learn a little bit better. Mm-hmm. So it's always best to, to, to catch the disorder during formative years, uh, I've read maybe by the age of three or four, correct? That's well, three or four is when they start diagnosing it. But I, okay. I would say, you know, if you can get into, you know, no more than like kindergarten, first grade, yeah. you know, without knowing, then you're going to be much better off than people that were diagnosed a little bit later. Mm-hmm. I understand. Okay. You were listening to your Lot and Parcel podcast. Please tell a friend and support the educational program by leaving us a rating or review. We thank you in advance. In today's program, my guest is discussing what it was like growing up with autism. He didn't know why he was so different until he was diagnosed at the age of 45. He is discussing how parents, school teachers, and the local community 
can help our children with this disorder. I've enjoyed reading this blog, incidentally, and I think you will too, by clicking on the link that you will find in the show notes. Here he is again, J.R. Reed. So what are, what are the current modalities of treatment, uh, J.R.? Um, you know, again, going back to if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism, they can be varied in what they can do. They can be, you know, speech pathology. They can be mm-hmm. physical therapy, um, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, ABA, which is a very controversial kind of therapy, but, you know, I, I've seen nothing that says it's, it's horrible. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and then just traditional um, psychology, you know, meeting with okay. somebody to talk to and, and get your, mm-hmm. your feelings out and understand things. And then, you know, psychiatrist, you know, where maybe you need a little bit of medicine for something. Mm-hmm. There is no medicine for autism. So the medicine you would be taking would be for your depression, your anxiety, your ADHD, mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So it's uh, psychological uh, as far as uh, treatment. Uh, yes. So exactly. Because, you know, so it, it's not a blood test you can take or MRI or anything no. like that that will diagnose you. Okay. No, it would, it would, uh, as they get farther along, it would be genetic. I see. My goodness. Okay. So and they're still trying to identify that gene. Okay, it's it's so that it's ongoing the the, the research yeah. apparently yeah yeah and you know I find it very interesting the most research and the best research comes out of Australia hmm. and then England and then the United States that's interesting and I I think it's because they put a priority on things like that in Australia yeah, yeah. where we're too busy with cancer and you know all these other things which again is not bad you know but it's just where we want to put our money exactly in fact i i I read uh, jr that um, autism is uh, compared to um, what did i read cancer diabetes and other uh, combined uh, i mean uh, the autism is much more uh, prevalent, uh, so it's um, yeah. it, it is a it is something that. Uh, in fact, let me ask you this: what what can be done to help a, a child with autism uh, uh, from the outset? Well, you know, it's funny you should ask that question because I'm actually doing a presentation on Thursday night. And I'm putting together the PowerPoint. There you go. Today, so um, I think you really watch the child, and you kind of look you take notes and you learn as the situation goes Mm -hmm. um you know if you see him starting or her starting to panic over something then you look okay well what was going on just before that what could have triggered that panic and then you find a workaround so for example for me i hate shopping malls they're loud they're noisy random traffic patterns, and lots of people. But if I go on a Tuesday morning where it's not so crowded, then it's not so bad for me. So, you know, there are ways to find workarounds. And I will say that a lot more businesses are starting to put in autism-friendly hours Mm. where 
fluorescent lights seem to be a, a big trigger for a lot of people on the spectrum. So they'll dim the fluorescent lights. They'll, you know, turn down the music a little bit and make it easier for families and for adults, you know, on the spectrum to go out and get done what they need to get done in a much more friendly way. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, the, the example I like to use is with the shopping mall yes. is if I go in when it's crowded, I'm feeling disabled mm. by my environment. But if I go in, you know, like I said, on that Tuesday morning or sometime when it's less crowded, less noisy and everything, I'm still autistic, but I'm not as disabled by my environment. I'm sure. I'm sure. So I, I think a lot of it is you know, a little trial and error and, you know, figuring out what works for you and what doesn't mm -hmm. and then finding workarounds around that. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So when you're at a shopping mall, JR, how do you feel? You just, you just can't get out of there fast enough? Is, is that the I, I can't get out of there fast enough because, as I said earlier, my brain is, you know, like very logical and factual. Yeah. So here in America, we drive on the right, we walk on the right, you know, yes, yes. but in a shopping mall, is anybody just oh, doing that? No, no. Or at no. Walmart, you know, I mean, yeah. they're just walking whatever they want to go and bumping they're, into each other. Yeah, there's no structure. Yeah. Right. And I my brain that. has a hard time without that structure. I understand. You know, it's it, yeah. like you're thinking, which way do I go? Where am I supposed to, you know, how am I supposed to get from A to B? Hmm. Wow, I uh, I like the way you put that. That's interesting. I, I uh, parents, you know, of course, uh, having their little ones, you know, uh, do they? Uh, is it is it recommended for them to uh, get or receive special training in ways to um, help their child? Yes and no. I mean, there are some definite, definite great trainings that different local organizations will put on mm -hmm. for parents, yeah. but they can also join parents groups on Facebook. Mm -hmm. They can, uh, you know, socialize with other autism parents in their area and learn from each other. Mm. But, but yes, there are a lot like this group that I'm speaking to on Thursday night. It's um, I live near Springfield, Missouri, and it's put on by the Springfield School District. And it's for families of kids who are getting ready to graduate high school. Mm -hmm. And looking at what their options are when it comes to getting out of mom and dad's house and into the real world, hmm. you know, getting a job, opening a bank account, transportation, things like that. Exactly. Get into the real world, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, that uh, question that comes up is, uh, do you find uh, that typically it's the children and uh, all the way through, uh, the 12th year in school, you find more modalities of treatment than you would for adults? Oh, absolutely. The, okay. uh, I, I, I use the phrase and a lot of other people use the phrase that once you turn 18 and you go through adulthood, uh -huh. you're kind of the forgotten ones. Oh my. Okay. So he, he, here's an interesting story. Um, when I moved to Missouri, uh, there's a state organization called the regional center that works with people with all kinds of different disabilities. Mm -hmm. And I went to talk to them to see about if there was anything that I qualified for that I could get help with. And just so that I would have information, you know, as far as my advocacy and helping other people. 
And I was told you had to be diagnosed by the time you were 21 if you want to have services. Well, it didn't matter that there was no diagnosis until I was at least 30. So there was no possible way for me to be diagnosed at 21. I went up as high as the person who ran that regional office. And do you know what his answer was? Tough luck. Oh, my. Okay. Tough luck. That's unfortunate. So, unfortunately, I I guess I was just born too early, you know? (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, if you don't mind me asking you, uh, JR, I know you were diagnosed at 45. Uh, How did... How did you pivot into that diagnosis? Or what, what, what was going on? Well, I, I'd been seeing a psychologist for several years oh. um, just because of the anxiety and the depression and the ADHD. You know, I felt like it was really mm. positive for me just to have somebody to talk to about what was going on with my life yes. every week. And after a couple of years, I started looking at the different things that I struggled with. Mm-hmm. For example, I, uh, I was a freelance writer for 20 years, and I had a seasoned media credential for the Anaheim Ducks of the National Hockey League, and I covered their home games for different magazines, websites, newspapers, and hockey 20-minute period with a 15-minute break, then repeat, repeat, mm-hmm. three periods. Mm-hmm. I had this overwhelming sense that between the periods – I had to go outside because my brain was just overloaded Mm. and I needed to go outside, kind of let it calm down, reboot, if you will, and then go back in for the next period. Well, after my diagnosis, I realized that it it wasn't just some weird thing that I felt like I had to do. It was a sensory problem. So I had an answer for it. Mm. Interesting. I know you were in the Navy, you had indicated earlier on and, uh, um, how did that affect you? If, if... Uh, that was very tough. I actually oh. got out three years in my four-year enlistment um, medical discharge due to mental health reasons. Okay. And my current psychologist and psychiatrist have looked at my medical records from my Navy days. And they said about 90% of the stuff that was in there is straight autism. Mm. <laughs> that was just, again, undiagnosed at the time. Yeah. That must have been pretty tough. I, I can uh, you know what? It, it was. There was a lot of things that were tough. Yeah. From fifth grade on through graduation high, of high school, my teachers called me weird. They called me stupid. They called me lazy. Um, I I will cough to being weird, but not stupid and lazy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I think yeah, we all got a little yeah. weird. In us, so. no, uh, you know what? I, I, I have read uh, some of the things you've written in and uh I am impressed. I mean, you, your, oh, your, you. your voice really comes through, uh, your personality. Um, it, it makes for a good read, your Thank blogs. You. Uh, and Thank I was, you. And uh, I says, this guy knows how to write. <laughs> well, again, you know, it was the 20 years of freelancing. I started yeah. covering high school and junior college football games for the Los Angeles Times way, mm-hmm. way year, many years ago. And then yeah. just kind of moved up to where I was writing for national magazines and daily newspapers across the country. And so I, I did learn, and, and my writing style, and you've read the stuff, it's, mm-hmm. it's just very conversational. It is. And, and, you know, just, hey, this is who I am, and this is what I deal with, yeah. and, and this is how I figured out a way to deal with it. And then I always end just about every article with, 
So let's hear your stories. How did you, you know, I mean, hey, this was my way to get around it. What have you found that works? Or what have you found that didn't work? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I like your style. You use you a, lot of, a lot of adjectives, you know. And yeah. I like that very much, uh, GR. Yeah. And, and there are times that I have to really kind of hold back on the adjectives that I really want to use. You know? yeah. oh, well, yeah. You, you, you and me both, uh, JR. You and me yeah. both. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I want you to know uh, I'm a granddad. Okay. And uh, okay. I got three children and uh, I am partial to kids, to be honest with you. Oh, because, uh, me too. Because they're, they're very dependent on you. You know, I'm 100% dependent on you. Yeah. So my question to you, are school teachers trained to be alert to this disorder? Nope. They're not. That's well, a shame. they think they are. Mm. Um, there's one thing that teachers and administrators do in schools all over the country. And I would say 95% of them don't mean anything by it. Mm-hmm. But they use the term sped kid which mm-hmm. refers to a kid in the a student in the special education classroom mm. okay to them it's just a nickname it's just a way of identifying the student but it's really a label and just like i got called stupid and lazy that has stuck with me for most of my life mm. you know that i was told all those years that i was stupid and lazy well, how do you think a kid who's going to get out of high school is going to feel after being called yeah. sped kid his whole life? Yeah. And that's really a label that tells that student, mm-hmm. I'm different than the other students, and I am less than the yeah. other students. That's yeah, a shame. You know, it's, it is pejorative. And uh, no, I, uh, I'm telling you, I, uh, I raised or reared three children of my own. And I have three. God bless you for that. I had one and that was enough. That was enough. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, uh, then you got, uh, I have three grandkids, but uh, no, my heart, it's it's just uh, heart wrenching. You know what some kids, uh, I think back during my school years, you know, in the classroom of, let's say, 30, 35 kids in the same class. Mm -hmm. I I think back and I, you know, you, you wonder whether they were. Uh, a little autistic, you know. And, oh, uh, of course they were, you know, and yeah. there were, for example, the kids at high school algebra. Mm. I could get the answers right, but the way the teacher taught, you know, to get from A to B, my brain didn't understand. So I kind of put my own formula together mm. that got me to the same answer. Well, mm. at the time, I got D minuses because I didn't show the work correctly. Mm. Now that we know more about autism and, you know, the way people think, teachers are more willing to look at that and go, okay, I don't really understand the way he got that answer, but it's not cheating. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, the right answers, you know, the right answers. So they'll give them the right answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's interesting what you're saying there. We get stuck in a rut, you know, the same yeah. route, and that's uh, that's so unfortunate. Uh, yeah. But, but um, obviously, I mean, you've done well, uh, uh, and I congratulate you for that. Thank you. Obviously, an adult with uh, autism can do well. But uh, what can. what would you want the the, the local community uh, uh, to know, and and how okay. to help? I think it's so important for them to realize that we are people. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're not weird. Yes, we're a little different, 
but you know we can do the same things they do mm-hmm. um 80 to 85 percent of autistic adults are either unemployed or underemployed because of simple things like not being able to get through the interview process mm-hmm. and that's part of what i do in working with these kids and young adults that are trying to get out on their own you know how do we get through an interview process without freaking out and you know a lot of it i think and it depends on the person is just being honest and saying hey i'm autistic um you know if i don't understand a question of yours i'm going to ask you maybe if you can phrase it a different way or we can figure out you know because i do want to answer your questions and i do want to you know, be considered for this job, not just sit there and go, uh, uh, <laughs> right. yes, yes. No, there's, yeah, there's ways of, uh, working with it, you know, right. and, 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 uh, and be able to get around and, and over those obstacles yeah. there. Well, that's in, great. In, in, the, well, in the last year too, I've, I've spoken mm. a lot to businesses is, mm. you know, about how they can integrate people on the spectrum into yes. their workforce. Yes. And, you, you would not believe the number of companies, both large and small, that have, you know, chief diversity officers. Mm. That That's all they do is, you know, whether it be race, religion, you know, or autism, mm-hmm. that, you know, they work on making their company friendly for everybody. There you go. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the thing to do. If they can do their job. You know, uh, despite yeah. uh, of whatever uh, uh, disorders they may have, well, why not? You know, and, yeah. Uh, but I, I appreciate uh, what you're telling us. It's it's a good education for us to know and how to help you from a personal standpoint. Because when I, I did tell you that in the circle of friends that I do have, I said three, but now that I'm thinking about, it, there's four, okay, four, four young ones, and uh, and, and I try to be sociable and and. Uh, mm-hmm and include them and to integrate them into whatever's going on, you know, to the best they can. And so that's, that's the thing to do is to realize uh, and work with them. Um, JR, how can my listenership uh, reach out to you for more information on this topic? Um, Well, my website is not weird, just autistic.com. And which is kind of funny is I walked out of my psychologist's office after my diagnosis. Mm -hmm. The first thought that went through my mind as I crossed the parking lot was, well, I guess I'm not weird, just autistic. So yeah, well, they can go. go to they can go to notweirdjustautistic.com. There's a contact page. Mm-hmm. They can get a hold of me. And I am more than happy to answer any of their questions. And if I can't answer them, I can point them in the direction of somebody who can. There you go. Very good. And I, for one, whoever visits your website, I encourage them to read your blog because uh, I, I think it's uh, – very colorful in how you put it. And, and uh, oh, thank you. Very good. Well, it was great having you on your lot and parcel show. Uh, hey, thank you so I, much. And, and, and Ben, I got to tell you, I really, really do appreciate this opportunity. And um, I, don't, I don't know if you know it, but April is autism awareness month. Oh, I didn't know that. And I, I think that it's so important that we do these things outside of April because, you know, it, well, with whatever awareness month it is, yes. it's not just that one month that people deal with it. They deal with it year round. Well said. Well, said. I agree with you. 
you know, I, so. I, I definitely agree with you. Yeah. So year round around uh, to where we need to be aware of that. Yeah. Well, that's well said. Well put uh, JR. And I wish you the best, my friend. Hey, and Ben, I wish you the best. And I thank you very much for having me on. It's, it's really been an honor and a privilege and I've enjoyed myself. Thank you for listening. The theme music has been provided by Echo Foxtone. All the opinions expressed in the podcast are opinions only and should not be relied on. We hope you will join us in supporting home and family through your monetary funding. For more information, please visit yourlotandparcel.org.